Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. In Luke chapter 8, we find Jesus going on an arduous journey to deliver and heal one demon-possessed man. Jesus has indeed gone on that same journey for each one of us. Every one of us has need to be delivered of our sin and the consequence of our sin, and that can only happen in receiving Jesus Christ as our only Lord and Savior. Let's open our Bible now to Luke chapter 8 and look at the incredible, overwhelming power and love of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It is a Wednesday morning here in Texas and hopefully y'all are just loving on Jesus, spending time with Jesus, growing to know Jesus, growing to love him, growing to obey him and growing to repent just in the areas of our lives where, you know, where we're, where we're not being obedient to him. So, you know, we say it every time, just the meaning of life is growing to know and walk with Jesus. There's nothing in our lives, nothing in our lives. There is no, there is no human relationship. There is, there is absolutely nothing in our life that will benefit us more or be more edifying to us in every aspect of our life than growing to know Jesus, growing to know his love for us, growing to love and obey him in every aspect of our lives. And as we do that, every relationship we have will take on more meaning. Every aspect of our life, spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, and relationally will take on more meaning, right, Lauren? Um, so again, this is why we do these things. The number one way we grow to know Jesus, the number one way we grow in relationship with him is by spending time in the scriptures, spending time in the word of God. Obviously, we need to have a vibrant prayer life. Um, we need to spend time in praise and worship and fellowship and coming together, right? Um, you know, being in a good, sound, Bible-based church, right? Um, and having consistent fellowship with other believers, right? Um, you know, for most Christians going to church is the vast majority of their Christianity. Going to church is important, but it ought to be a small part. It ought to be about 5% of your Christianity, right? It's a good thing. Church ought to be dessert. You ought to go to church, you worship, you come together in corporate worship, you're taught the word of God, um, you, know, you have community with other believers, but again, 95% of your Christian walk ought to be what you do you know, Monday through Sunday in the time that you're not in church and how you're growing to know Jesus and walking with him. And that's what we do here, right? We're, we're, we're opening the scriptures because it's by studying the scriptures, meditating on the scriptures, right? And, you know, obeying the scriptures that we grow to know Jesus and grow to, grow to walk with him more intimately. And as we do that, the, the, whole, the whole thing becomes more exciting, right? So thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. We're continuing in Luke 8. Um, you know, here we have the we have an incredible, um, just an incredible account of G Jesus healing a, a demon-possessed man. A man possessed with, you know, what's called a legion of demons. 
in in Rome at the time of Jesus's life, when Jesus said these words, a Roman legion had at least 6,000 soldiers. And we're going to see in here, Jesus is going to ask the name of the demon. And it's going to say legion, he replied in verse 30, because many demons had gone into him. Um, and so this man is, is possessed by demons. And we're going to get into the difference between being possessed by a demon um, or being oppressed by demonic influence, right? But it's verses 26, Luke 8, verses 26, and it'll go to verses 39. So, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your favor, your mercy, your goodness, and your grace on our lives. Father, we thank you that we have our Bible. We thank you that we have these scriptures. We thank you that we have the living word of God to feed our spirit and our soul. Father, we just thank you for your word. But Father, above all, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and King. Lord Jesus, we thank you for becoming a human man for us. We thank you for living a perfect life righteous life for us. We thank you for dying a, a torturous, horrible death for us. And we thank you that you are alive and risen today, Lord Jesus, and we worship you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open your word. We ask you to give us eyes that see and ears that hear. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Okay. Luke chapter 8, verses 26 to 39. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was chained, chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. 
Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Wow. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Jesus does a miracle in this man's life, right? Jesus delivers him from massive demonic possession, right? He's then in his right mind. And of course, like anyone in their right mind, he wants to go and be with Jesus, right? You remember in, uh, in verse 35, it says, when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus's feet, dressed and in his right mind. And it says, and they were afraid. Verse 38, the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. When you and I have been delivered from our sin, right? And it's not until we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior that we are delivered from our sin and delivered from demonic possession, right? Or the potential of demonic possession, right? It's not until Jesus has possession of your soul and the spirit of God lives inside of you and is one with your spirit, right? And you're married to Jesus. You're part of the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. It's not until that time that, that, that no more can you be possessed by demons. Now, you can still be oppressed, right? In the life of a Christian believer, demonic oppression uh, there is no question that can and does happen, right? Um, but possession cannot happen in the life of one who has genuinely received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of their sins and the salvation of your soul. Until you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're spiritually dead, right? You're dead in your sin, right? Uh, in 1 John chapter 5, at the end of the chapter, it says that the whole world, all those who haven't received Jesus, are under the control of the devil and the demonic forces. It's a, it's a very, very heavy statement, right? The whole world is under the control of the devil and the demonic forces, but not those who know Christ. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, for the forgiveness of your sins, the salvation of your soul, and deliverance from hell, which is where anyone goes who has not received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, um, then you are taken out of the world. And again, you become part of the body of Christ. When you receive Christ, you're part of the bride of Christ. The Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, when you genuinely receive Jesus, comes and joins himself to your spirit. And when that happens, your spirit goes from being spiritually dead to spiritually alive. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, comes inside and joins himself to your dead spirit at the time of your salvation. 
and you come into spiritual life, you come into eternal life, you're born spiritually, right? You come into this world naturally and physically alive when you, you know, when you're born as a baby, but your spirit is dead to God because every human being has a sinful nature. And because of that nature of sin, we're born naturally alive, but spiritually dead. When the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, comes and lives inside of us, he regenerates us. He gives us new life, right? And we come into spiritual life and we're now one with Jesus. Jesus lives in us and we're again, we're part of the bride of Christ. We're married to Jesus spiritually. We're part of the body of Christ. We're part of the family of, of all genuine believers in the world. We're one family. We're one body of Christ, right? Once that happens, okay, no more can you be possessed by, by one demon or, or thousands, right? Um, because you're possessed now by Jesus. You're owned by Jesus, right? Um, the Spirit of God lives in us and we are sealed, right, by the Holy Spirit of God. Um, and, and never will he leave us, right? Never will he forsake us, right? Um, so in Jesus Christ, right, we're secure, right? However, as believers in Jesus Christ, now, although we cannot be possessed by a demon or demons, we certainly can be oppressed, right? And, and you know, the more you're walking with Jesus, right, the closer you get to Jesus, the more of a... Uh, the more of a threat you are to the kingdom of hell and the forces of hell, obviously, the more that that oppression, right, will come on you, right? Um, it's often been said by the church fathers that, you know, if, you know, if you're not, if you're not getting any kickback from the devil or the demonic forces, then it's almost a sure sign that you're not really doing a whole lot in the kingdom of God, right? Now, how do they oppress you? They press us with ungodly thoughts, right? Um, uh, you know, just they do all they can to prevent us from growing to know Jesus, growing to walk with Jesus, growing to love Jesus, growing to obey Jesus, and growing to advance the kingdom of God, right? They do all they can to keep us focused on ourselves and our life and this world and the things of this world in homes and cars and money and in, in, uh, in jobs and, in, in, you know, in relationships. Um, because none of those things are a threat to the kingdom of God. Now, obviously, it's good. It's it's fine for us to have a home and, and you know and to drive a car and to uh, you know and to have good relationships with friends and family, right? Um, wives and children and and parents. But the ultimate focus of our lives ought to be growing relationship and devotion to Jesus. Um, and so, this man, when he's delivered from this legion of demons, it says in verse 38, the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, to go with Jesus. Really the most sensible thing any Christian in the world today can do is to beg to be with Jesus. Now, once you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he's always with you right? He goes with you wherever you are and wherever you go. Um, you'll always be with Jesus, right? But nonetheless, this man's desire is to be with Jesus. 
that ought to be the cry of our hearts. We ought to have a a consistent longing to experience Jesus Christ, to be with him and to experience his presence in a more deep and profound and intimate way in every aspect of our lives. If you don't have that, then something's out of place. So let me say that again. If you don't have a longing to be with Jesus, a longing to know Jesus better, a longing to spend time with Jesus, then there is something out of place in your walk and relationship with God. Now hear me, almost every Christian in the world today does not have the longing as they ought, right? We're all in a, in a different place regarding this, right? Um, the more we grow to know Jesus, the more we'll long to be with him, right, Nathan? Um, the more time we spend in the scriptures, the more time we spend in thanksgiving, in praise, in worship, the more time we spend in fellowship with other believers, the more time we spend in, in talking about Jesus, right, and encouraging others in Jesus, the more we'll long for him, the more we'll want to know him better, right? So again, everyone is in a different place in their walk with Jesus and how much they long for Jesus. But the vast majority of Christians, right, if you were to ask them, they would, you know, they would, and they were going to be honest with you, they would tell you that, you know, no, they have very little longing for Jesus. They're happy to receive Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. They don't want to go to hell, but they would confess that there is very little longing for Jesus. I don't know what the numbers would be, but it, it, it might be one in 10, might be one in, might be uh, one in you know, one in 20, right? Very few Christians have a genuine longing for Jesus Christ, right? Um, and again, I desire that my longing for Jesus would be greater. So examine yourself. If, if you're just honest with yourself, right, Corinne, and say, you know what? I do want to know Jesus and I am growing to know Jesus. Um, but, you know, my, uh, you know, no, I don't, I, I wouldn't say that I long for him. Then just go before Jesus and begin to begin to pray with him and say, Lord Jesus, I do, I do ask you to help me to know you better. Help, help me to desire you more. Help me and drive me to spend more time in the scriptures that I might know you better. Lord Jesus, I want to have a heart that begs to be with you. So just cry out to him. Just, just spend time daily praying and asking Jesus to help you to grow in your relationship with him, right? The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So Jesus doesn't let the man go with him. The man begs Jesus. He doesn't want to stay in the town. Um, and I'm going a little backwards to front here, but the people of the town, they don't want Jesus. And we're going to get into why that is, right? But the man who's been freed from the demons strongly desires to be with Jesus. But Jesus says, no, you know, it's kind of a, you know, it's an interesting thing. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. Jesus is God. And so when Jesus, you know, Jesus is basically telling him, go home and tell him, tell the entire town how much I have done for you. Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town 
how much Jesus had done for him. Again, one of the, you know, an obvious observation of someone who really understands how much Christ has done for them is that they have a heart to talk about Jesus with others, right? And it's somewhat consistent, right? When you truly understand, when I understand the price that was paid for our sin, when we understand that we are such hellish, wretched sinners, every one of us, right? Every human being is equal at the foot of the cross. We're all hopeless, helpless, desperate. We all need a savior. There's nothing we can do. And only hell awaits without Christ, right? The more we come to understand that, right? The more we really understand how much Jesus has done for us. Jesus really has done as much for each of us, May, as he did for this man. Now, very, very few of us have ever been delivered from a, a, a legion of demons. Remember, a Roman legion was at least 6,000, right? It's, it's, it's an incomprehensible number. So this man begs to be with Jesus. Jesus says no. He commands the man to go tell how much Jesus had done for him. And Jesus is God. It says, so the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. How much do you have a lifestyle of speaking about Jesus? How much does Jesus come up in your day-to-day -day conversations? Not God. Okay, Jesus is God. We have a triune God, God, the father, God, the son and God, the Holy Spirit. Okay, every religion has the word God. Okay, it's only in Jesus, right? It's only in the person of Jesus and knowing Jesus and trusting and relying and putting your full hope in Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul. Can you know God in any manner, in any way? Can you know the triune God? We would all do well, okay? Particularly us as ministers, but, but all of us as Christians would do well to, to use the word God less and to replace it with the name Jesus, right? You can go to someone and talk about God all day long, and it will do no good at all. It will be worthless unless you're talking about Jesus. It's only in Jesus that you can know God. In Jesus, God the Father becomes your heavenly Father. God the Son, Jesus, becomes your Lord and Savior and Master and King and Friend, right? God the Holy Spirit becomes your guide, your counselor, and your comforter. We need to have the name Jesus on our lips. Jesus tells him this, verse 39, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Okay. The vast majority of Christians, and I mean zealous Christians all day long, God, 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 Okay. Again, every religion has the name God. In Jesus, God the Father is your heavenly Father. Do you call your mother and father by their first name? No, you call them mom and dad because it's special. So again, we would do well again to 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 really mitigate the use 
of the general word God, which every religion has, right? And only in Christ are we avoiding hell. Is anyone in this world avoiding hell? And every time you want to say God, say, you know, my, my father. More than anything, say Jesus, 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 Jesus. It's only in Jesus that we, again, have relationship with the triune God. It's only in Jesus that we can have our sins forgiven. It's only in Jesus that we can grow in our relationship with our God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So again, Jesus says, return home and say how much God. This is how you talk about how much God has done for you, by talking all how much Jesus has done for you. I cannot stress this enough. If, if there was anything in Christianity today that, that I would exhort to be changed, it would be this that the name Jesus would be on our lips more and more and more and more. And we would, we, we would replace that with the general word God. Now, people will tell me, you know, well, that's what I mean when I say God. Well, then start saying what you mean, right? Start saying Jesus. Jesus commands him, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus has done for him. Um, it's only in Jesus. Do you know Jesus today? Are you trusting and relying on Jesus Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul? Right? If you're not sure that you're a Christian today, maybe you say, I believe in Jesus, but I don't know that I'm trusting in him and relying on him and clinging to him alone. You know, Romans 10, 13 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now hear me, it's not our words that save us. You don't just puppet words and you're saved. It's Christ that saves us. But you, you use your words. I use my words to communicate our heart to Jesus, right? Have you called out to Jesus in desperation, right? Romans 3.23 says that every human being is sinful. We've all fall, fallen short of God's standard. All of us deserve hell and save Jesus. That's where every human being goes, Okay. All 8 billion people in the world need Jesus. Simply go before Jesus. Humble yourself before him and call out to him in prayer. Just simply pray, Lord Jesus, I confess I'm a sinful person. And I know I can't save myself, Lord. I know that I'm hopeless. I'm helpless, Lord. I know that I'm desperate. But Jesus, I believe you are the son of God. I believe you came into this world and lived a perfect, righteous life for me. And I believe you died a perfect, righteous, torturous death for me. And Lord Jesus, I believe you are alive and risen today. And therefore, Lord Jesus, I ask you now to come into my heart. I ask you to save me from my sin. Lord, I ask you to bring me to heaven when I die. Lord Jesus, I place all my faith, all my trust, all my hope, all my confidence in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. That's how you become a Christian. Now, again, if, if, you know, if you're not sure you're a Christian, rewind the tape, use the words I used. But it's, it's the genuineness, the sincerity of your heart that matters, obviously, right? And as sincerely as you can, call out to the Lord. And again, Romans 10, 13 promises that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, obviously, genuinely, obviously, sincerely, obviously knowing our desperate need of him will be saved. It's a promise, right?
All right. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right. Verse, verse 26. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. It's interesting as you go through this story. If you recall, they were just, uh, you know, they were just in a horrible storm getting to this place, right? I was, uh, when I was preparing for this, um, and I was studying the different different scholars. I was studying Matthew Henry, and man, he's just he's about as good as there is, right? I would suggest everyone get a Matthew Henry commentary. I mean, it's <laughs> I mean, it's thick, right? The entire commentary, the the full volumes is probably you know two or three times as thick as a Bible, but the um, you know the insights are tremendous. And again, there's a lot of good solid scholars. When I'm studying the scriptures, I study and I, I look to see what is in there, what's revealed to me, what the Holy Spirit's showing me. Then I'll go and look, you know, with what other responsible, you know, scholars have said on, you know, on it. And I'll learn from them and I'll, you know, we don't always agree on everything, right? Um, but Matthew Henry was making the point that, you know, they had to go through a storm that the disciples thought they were going to be, that they would be killed in, right? They thought they were going to drown to get to this place. Now, remember that, you know, Jesus goes all the way. He crosses the lake, puts the disciples through the storm, goes himself through a storm. For the only reason he goes there is for the healing of this man. That's all that happens. He goes there, he comes to shore, verse 27, when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. All that's going to happen is Jesus is going to deliver this man, okay? He's going to deliver, he's going to allow the demons to go into the, the massive herd of pigs. The other gospel, I believe, says it was 2,000 pigs, right? Um... And then the people of the town are going to be overcome with fear and they're going to ask Jesus to leave and he leaves. So the only reason he goes here is to, to set free this man, right? Jesus goes all the way across this lake, goes through a tremendous storm, takes the disciples through a tremendous storm for the deliverance of this one man. And that's certainly a picture to us, right? Sometimes the Lord, sometimes Jesus will will allow us to go through a very difficult storm in our life. And so that on the other side of it, he can use us to bring freedom and healing in Jesus to others on the other side of that storm. Do you see that? That's, I mean, that's profound, right? Um, the disciples have to go through a storm. And Matthew Henry made the point that it was very possibly the, you know, at whatever power the, the demons or the devils have, right? That, that, that the storm that came on the lake was in some level brought on by the demonic forces trying to prevent Jesus from getting to the other side of the lake. But you'll see Jesus just, you know, in the, in the previous verses, Jesus just, just tells, just speaks to the storm. The other gospel says, he says three words, quiet, be still. And basically the hurricane goes calm. And as you recall, the disciples were terrified, no more of the storm, but of, of who's in the boat, right? And we talked about how we, we really got to understand who we're dealing with in Jesus. We're dealing with God Almighty. Anyway, Matthew Henry was making a point that, you know, very possibly the demons were, you know, 
were part of this storm coming on the lake to prevent Jesus from ever getting there, right? Um, it says, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. So Jesus steps on the shore. I'll say again, this is the only thing Jesus is going to do. He goes all the way on this long journey, right? He's going to deliver this man. And then the people of the town are going to beg him to leave. And, you know, he's going to be a gentleman. He's going to leave. He's not going to force himself on him. It's the worst thing in the history of, of, of mankind that you could ever do is beg Jesus to leave, right? It's amazing. They, uh, you know, these people, as we'll see, right? Verse 29, for Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him. And though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and, and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. So this man is a menace to this town, right? He had been chained hand and foot but somehow he has this supernatural strength. He, he breaks the chains. It says he was kept under guard. So this man is a crazed, demon-possessed lunatic, okay? Jesus is going to drive out the demons, right? And heal the man, put him back in his right mind. And the man begs to be with Jesus, but we're going to find that the people beg Jesus to leave, right? They don't want Jesus. They're going to beg him to leave. And I'll say again, there is, uh, you know, when someone rejects Christ, when we're sent, when we're sharing the gospel of Christ, and hopefully we're doing that in love, right? You know, you just don't go shout at people. You're going to hell. You need Jesus. That's certainly true, right? But when you share the gospel, we reason it out of love, right? You don't share the gospel out of anger or out of bitterness, right? You don't say you're going to hell, you dirty, nasty, disgusting, pitiful sinner. All those things are true, right? And, and certainly it is our job to talk about sin and to remind people that only hell awaits, but we need to do it in love. We need to show mercy, knowing ourselves to be nasty sinners that only by the grace of Jesus Christ have we been delivered from our sin right? When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet. Now, again, this man was terrorizing the town, right? And you see it in the other account in the other gospels. Jesus comes on the shore and the man runs to Jesus. Now, we don't know if, uh, if perhaps the man himself had had a moment in his right mind because the demons clearly don't want Jesus to be here. The demons know who's in charge. Okay. Um, you know, some of the scholars said there were superstitions of the time that thought the demons had the power. But we're going to see clearly here the authority and power of Jesus over everything. We just saw the authority and power of Jesus over nature, right? We talked about how, how you know, how Mother Nature is our mother, so to speak, right? Mother Nature is obviously not a real being. It's just a saying for, for nature and the power of nature, right? We call it Mother Nature, so to speak. Um, but we've said mother nature's our mama, right? When a hurricane is coming, all we can do is get out of the way. 
all we can do is leave. We have systems now, radar systems, right? And weather systems that let us know that a hurricane's coming. We can do nothing but run from her, right? All we can do is run from it, right? A tornado's coming, we run. An earthquake's coming, all we can do is run. Not Jesus, right? There's a hurricane going on on the middle of the lake. And Jesus says three words, quiet, be still. Because apparently Jesus is her daddy, right? <laughs> yeah, right? So Jesus just demonstrated his incredible power lens over nature, right? And now, you know, he, he demonstrated his complete power over the physical. Now he's going to demonstrate his total and complete power over the spiritual, right? So, you know, perhaps this man in his right mind ran to Jesus, um, but it's the demons that cry out, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. 29, for Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Verse 30, Jesus asked him, what is your name? Notice Jesus isn't scared, right? Never, by the way, ever do you see Jesus afraid. <laughs> ever, right? The disciples were just afraid. Professional fishermen were afraid. They must have seen some, some crazy waters, but they believed they were going to die, drown in Paris. Jesus is sleeping in the boat. This is on the way to, the, to this side of the lake, the region of the Gerasenes. Jesus is not afraid of anything, right? He's God. He created everything. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. Again, a Roman legion, at least 6,000 or normally 6,000 soldiers. Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. Verse 31, and they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. It's amazing. These demons are causing havoc and terror every way, everywhere in this town. But it says, and they begged him, Jesus, repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss, right? Um, the scriptures teach us that, 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 Ultimately, the demons will be condemned in the pit of fire in hell for all eternity, right? Hell was actually created for the demons, right? Then humanity fell into sin, and now all of us who have not been redeemed from our sin, had our sins forgiven and cleansed and washed away in Jesus by receiving Jesus. Regrettably, everyone who hasn't received Jesus goes to hell as well. But it was originally created for the devil in the demonic forces. And they know that there is a time, the word of God says there is a time when they will be put and remanded into hell, into the lake of fire for all eternity. And so they, in verse 31, it says, and they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. They know apparently that he has the power. If Jesus says the words, go to the abyss. They have no choice. They cannot resist. When Jesus speaks, he's speaking the word of God because he is God. 
Do you understand the power we have in this Bible, Kristen, right? We don't really understand Jesus or the power of these scriptures, do we, Esther, right? When Jesus speaks, Scott, he's speaking the word of God, and it is certain. This legion of demons, it says, they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. So they're pleading him with him. They're begging him to not send them to that place yet. They know they'll ultimately have to go there, but they want to put it off as soon as possible. And uh, we're not told why Jesus doesn't do that. Verse 32, a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. Like I said, I think it's 2,000, the other version says. Um, the demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. So there is no ambiguity here who's in charge, right? Clearly, the demons know who's in charge. So again, on the way to this area on the other side of the lake called the region of the Gerasenes, Jesus shows his utter and complete power over the physical world, over nature. Now he's showing his complete power over the spiritual or over the spiritual world, right? It's all Jesus. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. John 10.10 10 says that the devil has come to kill, steal, and destroy, but Jesus has come that we might have life and have it to the full. All the demons want to do is destroy and kill, right? Uh, human beings are made in the image of God. Obviously, that image has been marred because of sin. And so... They weren't able to kill this man, apparently, because they would have already done it. But they were able to, to wreak havoc, right, inside the man and, you know, using the man to wreak havoc all over the town. But you notice, as soon as they enter the pigs, they immediately destroy all the pigs. 2,000 pigs, even today. We were looking it up yesterday. The average pig, I guess, is $350 times 2,000. What is that? $700,000 in pigs in today's money? That's a lot of money, right? Now, again, a pig would have obviously been a lot less expensive, but it's still a, it's still a massive like financial investment, right? Um, 2000 When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. The demons immediately destroyed the pigs, and kill them because that's what they've come to do. Again, John 10, 10, the devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's all he wants to do in our lives. That's why we got to have Jesus as our savior and continue to grow in him, growing to know him, right? The more intimate we are with Jesus, the more secure we will be and the less oppressed we'll be, right? Or, you know, the more power we'll have against oppression. Verse 34. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. Verse 35, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Mm. When they saw the power of Jesus, they saw this man that they known had terrorized their town for who knows how long. They had heard what happened. 
The man is not dressed anymore, not naked anymore. He's fully clothed. And not only that, he's in his right mind. With the demons gone, he's been restored to his right mind. It's only Jesus that ultimately brings healing to us, whether it be spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, or relationally. It's only Jesus, right? It's ultimately Jesus that brings us mental health, right? Now, listen, you know, if you're struggling with mental health and there are medications that are helping you, that that's wonderful, right? But ultimately, Jesus is our healer, right? Um, you know, the more and the more intimately we know Jesus, the more whole we'll be in every way. So I'll say again, if, again, if you're struggling, um, you know, mentally and there are medications that are helping you, again, that's wonderful. But all of us want to grow to know Jesus more deeply and more intimately and in as much, right, we'll be healed and whole in every aspect of our lives, right, Melanie? Spiritually, physically, emotionally, financially, and relationally. Verse 36, those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. This is amazing. Verse 37, then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. And he honors their word. So he got into the boat and left. Why is it that these people were so overcome with fear that this, the demon possessed man had a legion of demons in him, right? But apparently they cared more for the swine. They cared more for the pigs than they did for the man, right? Obviously it would have been a financial loss, right? To the, uh, I was talking to my brother, Tom, and I was, preparing for this teaching. And I, you know, I appreciate uh, all the people that oftentimes before I do a teaching, you know, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll go over it with somebody or we'll do a Bible study together. Or I'll have done several Bible studies. And one of the, you know, elders of our ministry, Tom went over this teaching with me. We did it at Bible study yesterday. I was studying for it a few days ago. I studied for it again this morning, but um, you know, he was mentioning again, that just Obviously, the people were upset at the financial loss, right? And, and yet they, they, they show no care at all for this human being, this man that had been crazed, out of his mind, demon-possessed. Jesus heals the man, but they're more concerned for their pigs, right? And, uh, and Matthew Henry made the incredible point that never are we in such a sad state you know, I'm rephrasing it in my own words, but never are we in such a sad state, right? That, you know, then we'd rather have our swine. We'd rather have our pigs than we would Jesus, right? They beg Jesus to leave because they're obviously afraid that Jesus, you know, may bring another judgment on them, right? Jesus very possibly may ask them to repent of their sins. He surely will. And so they've seen the power of Jesus and undoubtedly they don't want to, they don't want to continue to, they, they, you know, they don't want to, to, you know, to receive Christ and to live obediently. And so out of fear that Jesus very possibly will bring more judgments, they'd rather have him leave than really take on a Christ-like lifestyle and how much that clearly 
applies to us today, right? How often would we rather not have Jesus, but still have the world and our sin and the things of the world, right? Forgive us, Father. Forgive us. Um, wow. Wow. Man. And then we already talked about that Jesus got into the boat and left again. If you reject Jesus and push him away and say you don't want him, he'll leave. Uh, now, again, as I was studying this morning, Matthew Henry made the point that perhaps the reason that Jesus left this man here was because he, uh, you know, that after the, you know, after the, you know, the anger and bitterness of, of losing the, the pigs had worn off. Perhaps the man would still be in the town as a monument, right? That they could see the deliverance and perhaps the man would help this town come to Jesus. And certainly we pray that the town did come to Jesus. Um, but Jesus will leave if we reject him, right? And so, you know, it's our job to continually do as this man did. Consistently tell anyone who will listen about the goodness of Christ, the goodness of what Jesus has done in our lives and share Christ and win them to Christ, right? Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. Father, we ask you to forgive us, Lord, and, and cleanse us when we, when we desire our swine more than we do Jesus. Forgive us, Father, when we want the world and our sin more than we do you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to cleanse us of unrighteousness and wash us in the blood of Jesus and help us to live more for Jesus. Help us to go out and testify, as this man did, of the deliverance we have received in and through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, we do love you, we bless you, and we thank you. Holy Spirit, we ask you to seal this message to our hearts now. Seal the word of God to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.